Folks, hello and a very warm welcome to our latest Generation Podcast, the podcast that does mission with uh, what we call a Scottish accent. But of course, we live in the United Kingdom, we have many accents, and uh, the one today you're going to hear is an extraordinary accent. It's the accent of my old friend Steve Levy. Uh, Steve is the Senior Minister of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Swansea, which is in Wales, the Principality of Wales. So, Steve, very warm welcome to Generation Podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I, I think my accent is quite normal. <laughs> well, everybody thinks her accent's normal. We find it difficult to put ourselves in other folks' shoes. Well, that's certainly true. <laughs> Great. Okay. Now, many of our listeners uh, will know of you. Others will not. Uh, actually, if you Google Steve, uh, if you Google Steve Levy, you'll find that it comes up that he's the author of a book called How to Profit from the Coming Rapture, <laughs> Getting Ahead When You're Left Behind. Is that you? No, I sadly, but I, I, now you've told me about this book, I'm, I'm going to buy it and maybe change my uh, eschatology, depending on what I read. Yeah, but you and I know the rapture ain't going to happen. No, that's certainly true. We will meet the Lord in the air, but yes, that's, uh, the rapture won't happen, though. Great. Again, apologies to our listeners for the quality of the sound. We're doing this through Zoom uh, during lockdown, and so the quality is not quite what we'd want it. Steve, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I've, I, I know your family a, a little bit. Can you tell us how you came to faith? Yeah, I grew up in uh, a Christian home. My father was an elder of the church. My older brother came to faith uh, when he was five years old on a Christmas day, Sunday night service, 50-minute sermon, um, which is quite remarkable. My sister... Uh, came to faith when she was seven. And I remember feeling that I was never going to be saved. But I knew there was a God because I knew my parents knew him. Uh, and that was just an undeniable fact of my upbringing. Uh, and then about the age of 10, uh, I, I, no, I think it was 11 in 1979, I went to a Christian camp with David Jones, the Presbyterian minister in Australia, and I was preaching on original sin. And I came in a deep conviction of sin, uh, and I was, there was, I think there was about 20 uh, children on that campus saved, uh, and I think I was the last one. Uh, I fought it all the way, uh, but it really was a case of the Lord wrestling with me and beating me. So that's when I came to faith. But I knew, I think the prayers of my, uh, my parents and the church I was in, nearly all the children uh, of the church I grew up in came to faith in Christ, which is quite incredible, actually, because the church wasn't particularly, in the modern sense, child-friendly. So I think primarily it was the church were praying, but these were the means God used. Yeah, that's, of course, because you were all covenant children, isn't that right? <laughs> well, my brother might have uh, that opinion. We were a Baptist church and it worked. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they took 
I think they took the view of the covenant very seriously as towards church life and their responsibility to their children, but they they didn't quite jump the whole way. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to go down the old uh, Baptist um, uh, Presbyterian debate, but I, I have found that actually Baptists are on the whole models of raising their kids in a godly manner and it really is quite wonderful. I'm going to ask maybe a little awkward question here. Do you think children's evangelism can be exploitative and do you think there's any dangers in kids' evangelism? I think, I suppose it's best not to say what others do. I, I feel strongly the most important place in children's evangelism is they come to the church services and that they sit under the main means of grace. That's what we grew up with uh, and saw such incredible fruit. Uh, but it was a, it was quite a tr- very, very traditional service. But it's children listening to the main means of grace, being with the Lord's people, just like in the Bible, that they come together. It doesn't seem separate evangelism for children in the Bible. Um, so I, I think that they, the best way for it to be very honest is that they hear the gospel being preached and sit in the, under the main means of grace Sunday by Sunday. Uh, so I, our children come into our service at about, I think it's five years old, and we sort of help them before that to understand exactly why they need. In fact, the elders of our church call it launch pad, so the children know they're going to be launched into the service. Um, but that's, what, that's how people were converted in the church I grew up in. And yeah. Do you have a kids component in your service at all? Would you do a children's story or would you apply the, the Bible passage specifically to younger people? I, I think when I preach, I always include them in my application just because Paul does in the letters um, that he specifically talks to children while in front of others. But no, we don't have a children's component in the service at all. It's, uh, it's actually... Yeah, that's fascinating. Have you ever had any pushback on that from people? Yeah, we've got amazing pushback. The children used to come and go out until they were 18 when I was first year. And some people left when we lowered the age. But what we found, and this is the great thing about being a Baptist, is when they give their testimonies, they tell you what happened, and all the children thought that they were good Christians. And when they came into church and heard the preaching, they hated it and realized they didn't belong. And that was the trigger uh, that God used to convict them. Uh, and we had one man, it was a lovely story, that he took his child out and asked that we have a junior church and was told no. And he was going to go to another church. He was so angry, he was on holiday, he was a pastor. But he brought his son into the service and his son was saved, um, which is quite amazing, actually. Uh, and uh, the children's church now, we found since the children have started coming in, that most of the children of the church, uh, the vast majority, have come to faith and are walking with the Lord as children. But our children are involved in all church life. They, they read the Bible together, they come to the prayer meeting. We've got a number of our children before lockdown used to come to the prayer meeting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the testimony of, you know, within our tradition as well, most of the young folk who are believers have been you know, brought up within a church, brought up within a Christian home. That is why I say, you know, church is a, 
often are not doing too well. The very first appointment, they, they'll come to me and say, David, we, we want to hire a youth worker. And it's almost always the wrong hire. It really is. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there isn't a youth pastor in the Bible. I, I respect churches that do that. But I, I grew up thinking that the pastor was the pastor of everybody and the elders and deacons were the elders and deacons of everyone and it was a church family. Uh, I, I, I genuinely believe that they must feel part of the church family or community. I think that's the critical uh, uh, point that you, the words you might use. But I think that's the most important thing is that the pastor should include uh, the children. We've got quite a large number of children in the church. Uh, and we pray for them by name. I try and pray for them by name every day. Um, and we have a prayer meeting once a term where we pray for them by name. Um, and I think that's the key thing, is the whole church has got a responsibility to the children. Yeah, that is, that is tremendous. You know, that is, um, you know you're, you're almost a Presbyterian, Steve. You're, you talk like one, you know, you're almost there. So uh, I'm, I'm as close as you can be as be a Baptist. I, I really dabbled in the dark arts once, but I am... Um, you never, you never nailed, yeah. My yeah. brother, as you probably know, my brother uh, fell into those ways. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm close. I got, I got enormous sympathy. And you put a lot of the best theologians are Presbyterian, so I can't get I, I can't get my head around that. But it's just true. Yeah. Tell tell us how you ended up in Mount um, Mount Pleasant Baptist. It's a city centre church in the middle of Swansea. Tell us what your theological education was and how you ended up in Mount and what was it like when you got there. Yeah, my my theological education. I, Paul Tucker was my pastor. Uh, it was quite it was quite well known in Baptist circles years ago. Um, and he was the chairman of the board of Brinterian or ACW, I don't know, it's not it's ECTW, and now it's called Union, isn't it? It was West. <laughs> I've got to be careful because I'm on the board, so I wouldn't say too much. We're not criticizing the constant rebranding then, no. <laughs> no, not at all. I think it's a wonderful thing to always be rebranded. <laughs> but yeah, so I joined there and then I was involved in. The church planting uh, a council estate, and then when the call came, the church was in a real mess for all kinds of reasons. And I was warned by two pastors who told me it was the worst church in the British Isles. I don't think that was totally true, but it was theologically diverse. Would be an understatement. Um, and they uh, they called me when it was at rock bottom, and I, I just felt a real calling to. The church here, and I love Swansea, and it's right in the middle of Swansea, so that's how I ended up here. It's a, a great, it's a great location, it really is. So, did you have a plan on day one? No, no, I really didn't. I, I, I tended tend to be on the sort of fringe of principle, really, that you just preach and apply the Bible. Um, and try and teach people that the church should follow the Bible. Okay, that's a plan. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is a plan. Uh, and then everything comes from that. Lots of things flow from that. I, I think you should, we should always be looking at how the church should change in the light of what the Bible says. 
And that's where everything came from. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you use that phrase a lot, you just teach the Bible. So are you one of these guys that could say, I'll never sign a confession of faith, but I'll sign the Bible? No, 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 I would definitely not be one of those guys. Think... Tell us about, presumably you're a 1689 guy. No. Um, no. No, I don't think 1689 is that great. I think about this hold on to it as if it's, uh, it's, it's a sort of, uh, no, I won't say too much, but it's not, it's not the best of the catechisms and confessions of that time. I think most people would realise that. Um, no, I wouldn't go all the way that line. But I, I do think, I think the, the creeds of the uh, church history are critical, and I think Christians forming clear theological statements is very important so that people can know how to live and have to apply the Bible in their daily lives. So I do believe that. Yeah. Now, tell us uh, a little bit about how you guys do mission at Mount. Well, I think uh, originally, I think that the church service itself, where God gathers his people, has two extraordinary elements for evangelism. One of them is, as we worship God, it's a reflection of heaven in a world which is under the wrath of God, in a world which is like hell. It isn't heaven perfectly, but there should be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. There should be the worship of God. It should be on earth like it is in heaven. So that people whose lives are under God's wrath, when they come in and see the church service, they listen to the singing, preaching of God's word, reading of God's word, uh, the sacraments, that they say, surely God is in this place. Mm -hmm. I also believe that he is, and it's hand in hand together a little, but there is a slight distinctive, that God has chosen ways of bringing grace to Christians and non-Christians, means of grace. Um, and again, those are the singing, which by his word, he's given a special power to uh, the singing, Romans 15 talks about that, but it's primarily the preaching, but also just the fellowships, you know, they love one another. Uh, so we, our, our evangelism is to get people to the gathering. Uh, so we try our best to do that primarily so that it'll be added to the church. I think that seems to be the way Acts talks about evangelism. Okay, uh, I mean, that, that would be counter a lot of missional thinking today, which would, you know, Paul and the Areopagus, Paul and Mars Hill. Uh, so it's preaching, yeah, in the church, but it's also declaring the word out there everywhere, gossiping the gospel. Of course. I mean, and that's, I think that's just a given that that would happen, isn't it, that people would. But there is, there seems to be something extraordinary about uh, the gathering. And so much is said, is made about... Uh, at 16, which isn't necessarily that passage. Sometimes when you read books on mission, that I've heard so many varied ideas about how to apply that. But he's planting and trying to plant a church. That's what he's doing, he's planting churches, isn't he? At the end of Acts, going around planting churches. And then, well, there's another thing that goes on there, but it's that's what becomes the base. And then people are sent out from there into the world and their various callings. And then as they live their godly lives, uh, uh, we want to see them being added to the church. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Um, 
horrible. Like, <laughs> okay, then. Was that okay? I'm not sure. You don't agree? Or go on, I'm interested. No, 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 I'm just saying, oh, okay, I'm hearing, I'm hearing what, what you're saying. I mean, when the, the you know, in Corinthians there, when the, the unbeliever comes in and says, surely God is in this place, the fact that the unbeliever there is noted, it seems to be a fairly unusual thing. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but in the early church, they did seem to have unbelievers, and they just kick them out at the end when they had the Lord's Supper, didn't they? So they had plans for how unbelievers were there. Yeah, I don't know whether you take it as far as saying that, but yeah. You, would you say primarily evangelism should be done outside of the church, and then they, they're saved and then come in? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, churches should be run, if I can use that word, um, with the assumption that there'll be non-believers there, you know, so the word of God is applied. I think you just preach the Bible. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably, the more I go on, less happy with what's called evangelistic services. Yeah. I think the word is, is, you know, the Bible is just applied to uh, lots of folk. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested, like, I know a lot of you guys go out in the streets in Swansea, Friday, Saturday night. Um, tell us about that. Well, we've done less of that recently, you know, obviously with the lockdown. Uh, because we, we've, but I mean, we, the church plant in Nice does it a lot. Uh, but again, it's to bring people into the service, which is, they have a lunchtime meeting, which is extraordinary. In fact, in fact, as far as I'm aware, in, the, in their lunchtime meeting, they've only had uh, three or four in the last five years at the services where there hasn't been a new unbeliever there, which is an interesting phenomenon. Um, but again, when we go out, we can split try and explain the gospel. It's, it's never easy when you're chatting to people in those situations, but we constantly encourage them to come and hear the gospel being preached and lived out in church life. Uh, so we usually use very simple, small tracts. Sometimes they're just a phrase to engage a conversation. But the aim of the conversation is to tell them about Christ, but also tell them about that they can be part of the church family. I don't know. Have I, have I made that? So I, I, when we speak, we don't try and aim at endlessly answering apologetic questions. We answer that we try and explain about sin. Yeah, Satan, these are the subjects that actually people are genuinely interested in. God deals with in their consciences and then try and uh, try and encourage them to hear the gospel and come to this place, which is should be like heaven on earth. Yeah, so well, what about handing out flip flops and giving them blankets when they're cold? <laughs> um, lots of Christians I respect do that. You know, whenever anybody says that, what's coming next? <laughs> um, I, I, I now this is where really, it's really controversial. All the passages that, are, that talk about that sort of social care seem to be applied to us being shown social caring within the church life to each other. Which you can, uh, but actually, what people need is their fundamental root issue dealt with, which is being right with God. An eternal life. I love that little phrase at the end of uh, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in eternal. I think that's that's what people need is eternal life. And and in the end, to tell people that, in yeah, I'm not sure what, where the idea of using flip flops or even just advice, you know, that uh, 
doing nice things for people is part of evangelism. It's just we should love our neighbors as Christians. Um, but the gospel is the gospel. I don't think it's a two-pronged idea of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Yeah. And died for yours again. Uh, he's coming back to us, the gospel, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I hope a lot of folk who listen to this uh, are are thinking about it because, you know, Mount is a great church, a growing church, a thriving church. Well, I, think, I think on that particular point, the real issue of people's lives, everyone's life, I believe, is that the wrath of God abides on them. And I think the reason everybody drinks, sleeps around, uh, looks for promotion, is because they're trying to get rid of that feeling. So I, I when I, I think it was, it was a book by Donald Trout's for me many, many, when I was a teenager, non-Christians know far more than we realize. And I think that I found without fail that people who've never heard the gospel have grasped that concept of the wrath of God, that there is a hell. Um, and they know it, and even they use that phrase a lot in Swansea. You hear that phrase all the time. It's like hell. My life is like hell. Yeah, yeah. And actually, what they're trying to do is get rid of that feeling. I, I possibly argue that everything anybody ever does is to get rid of that feeling. So when we're preaching the gospel, we're telling them the only thing that can get rid of the wrath of God. And that is the good news, isn't it, in Romans? The beginning of the good news is... It explains what's going on in everybody's hearts. And, and therefore, we should be pretty clear that that's the thing that we need to get across to people. Yeah. Sure, because, I mean, the passage we uh, alluded to earlier uh, is at First Corinthians chapter 14, you know, uh, when the unbeliever comes in, uh, you know, if you don't know what's going on, they'll, they'll go away. But if we speak with, with clarity, you know, they're convicted of their sin and brought under judgment as the secrets of their heart are, are laid bare. So they'll fall down and worship God. God is, is really among you. So, I mean, that's great stuff, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, that's what's... Churches, to me, that seem to be thriving uh, are churches which are, you know, talking about these things. And that's what many folk in the world uh, respect. I, I love the way, you know, you go into your church and it's incredibly normal in, in the sense that people are just normal, ordinary folk. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like swans. It's a, so we've got all kinds of different people, uh, from former drug addicts uh, to... Uh, hospital managers and consultants which it looks I like to think it looks like Swansea yeah. walking through the doors yeah, I love that expression you just used uh, it looks like Swansea and if you know if I had one expression for every community our church is in that's the one I'd like to say it looks like Glasgow it looks like Edinburgh it looks like Dundee um, just moving on to, to stuff can you tell me a wee bit about your preaching methodology what I mean by that is what is your philosophy of preaching? I don't, you know, I don't know whether anybody's ever really asked me that. And it's, I'm constantly reassessing and trying to become as little as possible. I think it's preaching the gospel. I'm, I'm more and more convinced that what Christians need every week 
uh, and non-Christians desperately need is to hear the gospel preached from the Bible. Um, I do preach through books. I'm not as, I don't think it's a sort of creedal thing that expository preaching is orthodox because there isn't an expository sermon in the Bible and there's a lot of sermons in the Bible. <laughs> but I, I do do it, but I, I think, I would, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm preaching and clearly portraying Christ crucified before people um, and, and that we are offering Christ. Um, and, and the Bible is the place we do that. So it's not preaching the Bible. You can preach the Bible, but if you don't come to Christ and have life, then I think you're in real. Well, that's the Pharisees, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's preaching, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I hope that claim Christ. Well, there's not nothing wrong with that. I, I once heard, I'm going to remind you of this, um, <laughs> you preached someone else's sermon. <laughs> yes, Almost word by word, it was a sermon by uh, Carter Conlon, who's passed in oh, yeah. Times Square. Now, it, it, it was unashamed plagiarism. Now, in your defence, in your defence, you said <laughs> right at the outset what it was. I thought that was great. Um, uh, well, it's a bit of a curveball, but. I mean, it's not what you do all the time, but occasionally would you preach someone else's sermon? No, I think that's the only time I've ever done it. And I think it's because from our background, I've never heard anybody preach on that subject. It was in Wolves, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's big in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time I heard it preach. So in, in one sense, if we heard somebody else preach on it, I would have nicked some of what they said. I think as preachers, we don't realise we nick more than we realise. Yeah. Um, I am heavily influenced by good preachers, but I think every good preacher should be. I'm far more concerned that the person in front of me hears and understands about Christ than I am in being um, original. In fact, I don't think anything I've ever thought is original. I hope, actually, nothing I've thought is original. But that's it, that sermon, I, I literally did it because I thought it was a critical message. It really is helpful in preaching in churches because it opens up a subject that needs to be opened up. Um, and, and I used to do it, I went through a period of doing it quite a lot, uh, just because it, I thought it helped churches, and, I'm there to serve, and my job is just to serve churches, really, when I preach out. Uh, and I serve this church when I preach, uh, preach here. But that's the only time I, I think I've done it. But I, I'm sure I've, I've, I've taken from other preachers. In fact, I'm certain that I have. I certainly have stolen illustrations. Yeah. I think most preachers have any sense of but everybody in our church gets sick of my illustration, so I certainly stole them illustrations. And again, you know, if I were defending you, I, I don't think, I think it was pretty heavily laden with Carter Conlon's stuff, but I think you put a lot of stuff in there, you know, of your own thinking, and certainly some of your wolves was really, really important. Yeah. So, when you say preach the gospel, are you a man of one sermon and one sermon only? No, no, but I, I think what I mean by the gospel, and I think this, because the word gospel now has been cheapened a little, isn't it? Do you hear it sort of in front of, it, it is preaching Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ who died for our sins, uh, was buried, has risen again, ascended into heaven, and will return. Jesus Christ, the only one who reveals God. 
as preaching Jesus, that's gospel. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't think I'm fair. I, no, I, I'm pretty certain I, I don't preach this one sermon. But then there's so many names, just names of Jesus in the Bible. Um, I don't think I've preached on all his names yet. Yeah. And I love that verse in Revelation. There's a name that nobody knows but himself. That's quite so, so you are dealing with the unsearchable riches. So there are many, many different ways the Bible proclaims and applies Christ. Um, but yeah, I don't think I preach one sermon. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe I do. I, I, no, I'm pretty sure my church would say I don't. Now, uh, although we've got to be clear, you are not the author of How to Profit from the Coming Rapture. You are, however, the author of Bible Overview. Tell us the story of how that book came about and tell us basically the distinctives of Bible Overview. Well, the reason it came about, sort of, and what actually happened, the two different things. The reason it came about is there was a controversy of did they know Christ? Did they have faith in Jesus? Did they come to God through Jesus in the Old Testament? That's two-thirds of the Bible. And the argument was, no, they didn't. Now, you know, and I know, orthodoxy says that's not true. Uh, and also, the other, I suppose the other side to that argument was there was people still saying, you need a system to read the Bible. But the average Christian can't grasp what the Bible is saying by just reading the Bible. Uh, so I wrote the book but in the end instead of just answering that I, I found what really was on my heart is I just wanted Christians to realise they could pick up the Bible if they looked and saw that it was Christ that reveals God and he has explicitly always done that and that the Bible makes the, uh, the simple wise and the huge amount of books uh, that are published and preachers seem to be saying to people, you'll never understand the Bible until I explain it to you. Uh, I hated phrases that you hear, all of it because it's a hard book, or um, Ezekiel is a, it's a difficult passage, as if you know a, a small child couldn't pick up the Bible and read it for themselves, whereas it's it very clear the Bible says that small children can read the Bible and understand it. So that was, it was that passion for the whole of Scripture is about Christ, explicitly about Christ, um, and all of the Bible makes a simple wise. I love the way theologians call it the perspicuity of the Bible. So they choose a word that nobody understands to explain <laughs> what everyone can understand. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the name that's been given to the doctrine. So. Now, uh, we were talking a couple of days ago and I was asking you what you're preaching about just now and you were really intrigued by the whole issue of vocation. Uh, can you open that out for us a little bit and tell our listeners what you understand by that and where it's led you? Yeah, it's a pretty huge subject, and I don't think it's been dealt with well in my background or, uh, as, or as much as it could have uh, been looked at. But it's, it's the idea that everything in Christianity is of massive significance and is set apart by God. So each job, God has called them to it. Uh, each person has been placed there by God. And that they're almost part of God's creation. God works through them in their jobs as part of his creation. Uh, 
and that they, they see that their vocation is as important, every vocation is as important as anybody else. Uh, and I found Martin Luther's thinking on this as helpful as everyone else. But it's not only saying, well, everybody's a missionary. There is very much that's the case. But every part of every job is, is given by God. And God longs to work through each member. And he equips them on the Lord's Day, Sabbath day rest. Uh, and then they go out into the week. I love Luther's expression that uh, you come to church with an empty sack, you fill it, and then you go out into the into the world, and the Lord works through you, and you you do that by loving God and loving your neighbour as yourself, as you look to Christ. And I I think it's trying to emphasise that is the calling of every member. I can't draw. Yeah, does anyone much on that? You know, his great expression, a dairymaid can milk cows to the glory of God. That's the kind of stuff you're meaning? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for everybody to look at their jobs like that, that he chooses to, uh, and I, I think a big thing with Luther, that he chooses to feed people through that farmer, uh, that he could drop bread from heaven easily and has historically, but he chooses to use men and women. Uh, so when I, even when I go into Tesco's I just, and I buy a loaf of bread, it is, that's God's way of feeding me, that in him we live, move, and have our being. So I think the doctrine of creation is what really got me thinking about this. I don't think we thought enough about it, that actually God is not a long way away, that he's actively involved in the tiniest tasks. Uh, and we should thank him for the person who serves us in Tesco, the person who empties the bins in the park, uh, that each one of them, God is at work through them, but they don't know that. But as Christians, we do know that, so we should rejoice in our vocations. Well, okay, let, let's push this as logical conclusion. Uh, you know, you, you think of, you know, we're in Wales here, so let's go specific. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's in Westminster Chapel. It's Friday night, he's going through Romans, it's packed. He's up there in the pulpit and he's down. He is the master of the pulpit. He really owns it. Luther comes in and he says that the farmer shoveling manure and the maid milking her cow are pleasing God as much as Lloyd-Jones is in the pulpit. Would you go that far? Lloyd-Jones is my hero. <laughs> or Steve Levy in the pulpit. Let's be less confident. Lloyd-Jones is talking of feeders too. It's still probably the best Christian book I've read. I think I read it when I was 14. But yes, I agree with that. Every man is created in God's image. In the end, when we look at well, I think Lloyd-Jones, I don't think Lloyd-Jones can say that if he doesn't say it. But if you listen to his theology and work it through, in the end, from God's perspective, we are all as sinners we should be damned. We, we are all finite and tiny. And yet, uh, God has chosen uh, to save those who are members in the congregation, and he loves them. And it's not a case of, oh, well, look, he is greater in God's eyes than somebody else. We are greater in God's eyes because of Christ and because he shared his spirit with us. And when you look at life like that, then of course the, the person who's shoveling down uh, the person who cracks the bins or the person who uh, washes the dishes in a restaurant is as significant as a preacher. Uh, it's just that God is working through each one in different ways. 
And God's called that person that task. The danger we've got, we've almost church seems to always be it moves towards what we need are there used to be um, more monks, people separated. And then I think the church has we've been obsessed with training ministers in our background. Whereas really we should be telling people, look, everybody's calling, everybody's thing, everybody's accused of the everybody has the spirit of God. And there's loads of this, you know that. The point that I've done, like the slave, I know that the slave is the same as the educated, the barbarians, the same as the group. And they are in their tasks as well as their calling, and as well as their salvation. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because Luther wrote a famous uh, treatise entitled Whether Soldiers Too Can Be Saved. That's right. and, you know, he makes the point that, you know, the, the words like office and work and calling. Uh, can be used almost of, of any occupation, and it really is pretty revolutionary, isn't it? It is, and we, we need to teach our people that, that it's God who has saved them, and it's God who's called them, uh, and that each one of their tasks, they are part of his creation. So I spent a long time with the lockdown trying to teach the children of the church um, that when they sit in a, a maths lesson, that's a gift that God's given for them. And he's given them a body and a mind. And I think that's an important thing as well, that they've been given a body and a mind to receive that gift of mind. And then to use it, this would be Luther's view, to love their neighbour. Um, and, and that's how we should look at all the locations. Children should look at all school like that, but every job is a gift given by God. And we should use whatever. I love one of the other great Luther quotes is about how the, uh, I think it's the, the man who makes uh, horses for, for uh, shoes for horses. He should look at his equipment and he should look at the nail and they should look at the hammer and he should look at the stool and they're all preachers saying, use me to love your neighbour. And I would add, which Luther doesn't, but I would add to love God and his creation as well. Great. Now let's let's move on. I mean, I, I can see me having to do another couple of podcasts with you. Uh, apologies for the quality of the sound, folks. I know it's a bit echoey. Um, we'll, again, we'll, we'll try and solve that with the future. Now, one of the things that's impressed me about you, Stephen, there are many things, is that you are really. Uh, pretty ecumenical in your outlook, you know. You you hang out with Lutherans and Presbyterians and Anglicans. Do you have the mindset that when you meet people uh, that you find quite interesting, I, I call you a bit of a theological magpie. Is, is that a fair description? I, I don't know. I yeah. I I think it's sort of a desperation. Uh, to realise our, our whatever culture we brought up in, and it's a very, very reformed Baptist with a huge Presbyterian influence, that we come with our culture which is spin to the Bible, uh, even that background, which has got lots of strengths. So then when you read people who've never read the books I've read, and they tell you about the Bible, it, it really does open your eyes of how influenced we are badly by our cultures as well as as good things. So, yeah, I just want to learn. I'm just desperate uh, to find out what is God saying from the Bible. So at the moment, I am being very influenced by Lutherans, but only because they've never read any of the books I've read, but they love the Bible. They love the gospel. 
And it's just it's just very stimulating when you come across people like that. It's like when you read the church fathers, you don't agree with everything, but there's some insights which are breathtaking. Um, and I, I, yeah, so I am always desperate. Uh, God's spirit lives in all of these people, doesn't it? It doesn't even agree with everything, but it is helpful. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I hope I hope I have that sort of approach. I'm not sure all those different groups like me, but, you know, <laughs> but that's, that's another story. Yeah. Now, another thing that Mount is well known for is a, one of the best conferences I've, I've ever attended, and I really need to get back uh, again, is the eccentrics. Um, you know, I'm getting a bit tired of it, you know, the same old conference circuit, and it's the same old guys with a blue suits and the striped ties, you know, <laughs> eccentrics is not like that. Tell me a little bit about your thinking as you, as you bring all, all these folk together in Swansea. Well, the original thinking was I, I felt a lot of young ministers in Wales were coming to me for advice and I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, and there's all kinds of historical reasons why that was. So what I, I really wanted was to introduce them to older men and to try and take different perspectives. So I, I took two, there were two main speakers, Jeff Thomas, who I don't agree with on everything, and Dick Lucas, who I don't agree with on everything, but I can see that they were great, wise men that God, God could use. And trying to then just get these young ministers to get to know these older men who would listen to them and help them. Uh, I think as it's gone on, uh, we've, tried, we've tried to keep that same idea that it shouldn't have my sort of theological agenda. We should always try and have people from different theological backgrounds uh, to encourage young, younger ministers not, uh, not to be afraid to think biblically. Um, we had yourself, which was great fun. I still do. That sermon you did on Lazarus. I might have nicked that one. <laughs> it was really about how the pastor's job is to prepare people to die. Uh, so that, I, I, that stuck with me. But it, the main aim is to get them to talk, to share their problems, but to, to actually meet with older ministers or ministers of a different background to just stimulate thought. Uh, instead of us all being afraid of what the church up the road thinks, does, or believes. And I, I fear an independency, oddly. That is a disease we suffer from a little bit. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit of a heresy-hunting attitude. Of, uh, I remember when I was in Bible college and there was a rumour going around there was a church that had introduced drums. Uh, but they were... Uh, they weren't, what were they doing? They, were, they, they weren't hitting them full force. And it, it just, it, you know, everyone thought that was a terrible thing. And I just thought, we really need to be thinking about bigger things than that. <laughs> Great. I mean, this is the second last thing I want to talk to you. You mentioned drums there. That's fascinating. Now, um, when I was down at Mount, uh, I think I'm down a couple of times, the, the first time, or, or no, it was when you'd been up in Scotland and you'd be hanging about with some free church folk and you had kind of been introduced to psalm singing. Right. And because you're a Bible guy, you know, you thought, oh, here we are, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Well, we're not singing enough psalms right. at Mount. Uh, and you went back, you sort of not exclusive psalmody or anywhere near there, but you were not exclusive hymnody anymore. And you started doing psalms. 
And can you tell us the story of how you began your psalm singing and tell us how the drums <laughs> enter into that story? <laughs> I think the, the reason was, I, I always known about psalm singing. I think it was coming to see you. Was the first time I heard it done, and I was I was incredibly impressed. But I was impressed by several things. I think the biggest thing is that hymns, including and modern choruses, but even old hymns, are very emotionally one-dimensional. They're generally very upbeat and optimistic. Um, and of course, when you hear psalm sung, it's the whole experience of Christ, isn't it? It's sung, and therefore the whole experience of the Christian. Uh, it's sung about. And it, I was just overwhelmed that this was clearly biblical, as you say, from what you just said. The reason we introduced drums, my fear was, is that the Psalms would be seen as an old-fashioned part of the service, and, uh, and then everybody would love the other bits. So I thought, what could make it the most masculine thing you could ever do? And that genuinely was my thinking. So we chose Welsh tunes. I'm sorry about that, but they tend to be more masculine, I think. And um, and we sung with just drums. So they sounded like football chants. So I'm, I'm, I, you know, I dread what anybody from the Free Church coming down. But I have to say the Sing Psalms book is by far the best book of psalms I've come across. Um, it's just brilliant. But the way we sing it is um, quite strong. Um, and I and, and the children love them. But then the, the, that's the great thing about the Psalms, isn't it? Is that the whole of their experience and their callings is there, isn't it? Uh, Psalm 16 is always one of the most popular Psalms for people to sing before exams or in times of trouble. Mm. Um, so it's been a huge blessing to us. But that, that's what happens. We might in, we talk about introducing other instruments sometimes, but I, I just love the fact of it not sounding old-fashioned. Uh, but vibrant, and sometimes we do four-part harmonies as well, uh, believe it or not. But uh, but the aim is, is that it's it's got that sort of yeah, it's just amazing. I love I love the sound. Yeah, I mean that's a great point. You know, if you stick you know exclusively to a cappella sixteen fifty uh, version of the Psalms, you know. Uh, you're, you're going to kill it. But if you yeah. want to make it a living part of worship, you've really got to um, see them as not old-fashioned but, but contemporary. Now, l l let me finish off. We're only supposed to do about 40 minutes. We've been way over that. Uh, I'm always nosy. I'm wondering what folk are reading just now. So what's beside your bed and what's in your desk? Uh, I was just coming back from all these. So one of the two books I've just finished again uh, there's a book called Christianity in Asia which one of my friends recommended my, uh, Paul Blacken and it's about how the church I was fascinated by how the church had grown and maintained uh, in um, the Byzantian era but okay, I didn't give me the title again Steve say again give me the title of that book again I think it's called Christianity in Asia but beyond the Byzantian era Beyond that empire, I never realized there was huge church growth, which was right across to China. Mm -hmm. And that was... Uh, so I read that while I was on holiday. Uh, I read another book by Vith, probably the best book I think I've read, which is, again, he's a Lutheran guy on the way the world thinks today. I don't know what the title of that is, but it came out this, um, 
this year, uh, and I, that really is, I don't like his conclusions, uh, but the, the way he analyzes the world using the law and gospel is really, really, really helpful, I found. What's the author called oh, again? I don't know what the title of the book was. I tend to just read the book, but yeah, it's by V-I-E-T-H, and I can't remember what the name of the title is, but it's, it, it's, it's published this year, and it goes through how the world is thinking at the moment. Yeah. How people are actually God, the God of this world at the moment, is feeling, it's what I feel, and I must be allowed to do what I feel. Yeah. Um, is it Christianity, how Lutheran theology speaks to a postmodern world? Yeah, that, that sounds like it. Well, no, that might be an earlier one. He's, he's reading a more modern one. Working the for a neighbor? Yeah. And, and that, that one deals with the issues of, uh, it really deals with all the issues of sexuality or to do with the body. Okay. And that's really helpful. Yeah. I think, I think we might have missed the boat. The Christians have got a very low view of the body. Um, and I think that we, we really, as Christians, should be teaching. And we're almost not, you know, the world has become very Gnostic. Mm-hmm. But the church has become quite Gnostic for a while. Um, whereas Lutherans, because of that stuff you said about Luther, Luther was always very hostile to that, that we're part yeah. of God's creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is an answer to the world today, that especially our children growing up in this world, they should realize their bodies are a gift, uh, that their bodies, that in their flesh, they will see him, that yeah. there will be a resurrection of the body. The body really does matter. Yeah. Uh, God hasn't made a mistake there. Uh, and that your desires are twisted, but God's, yeah, God is good. So that's a really good book. And then I've started reading a really interesting book, but I, I stopped reading on holiday because I wanted to take notes. The Unholy Trinity, Me, Myself, and I, the title alone is a great title, isn't it? Yes. I don't, have you seen that book before? I have no, no. Who's the author? Again, I don't know. See, I don't look at the authors. Yeah, yeah, great. But yeah. He, yeah, it's a book on idolatry, but I think it's, it's, it takes some of the... There's been a lot written on idolatry. <laughs> and name, no names. I think he, he thinks it out a bit more biblically than the other stuff I've read, mm-hmm. of how strong a thing idolatry is. But that's been good. And it's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's been Lutheran stuff I've been reading at the moment, but I, I, I'm sure I'll move on to somebody else soon. Steve, that has been that has been so good, and we're going to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you to the listeners for listening in, who, you know, to this podcast. Uh, whether it's in your car or you're out on a walk or you're going jogging, please tell your friends about Generation Podcast. We've got lots of interesting people, folk like Steve Levy, um, and folk like us. So every week we try to get someone new. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking to you again. Oh, it's lovely to speak to you, David.